The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then came, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to feel all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Good morning. It's good to see you all. My name is Gary. I'm one of the pastors here at Park Church. Um, Before we get into the the passage this morning, I want to pray for us. Um, I had one of those mornings where just kind of like everything doesn't go according to plan, like everything goes not according to plan. And uh, and in the middle of in the middle of it, just kind of was feeling overwhelmed and stressed out and just like this sense that also there's like a, a warfare happening. And then, and then we went into uh, the time of boiler room prayer. We, we do a time of prayer. Anybody's invited at 8.15 on Sunday mornings and we are praying. And, and just this sense uh, among us as we gather there that God wants to do something in our midst this morning. Uh, he wants to actually do powerful work. We're going to be looking at a passage where John the Baptist is actually preparing people for the coming of the king. And, and 
in our midst today as we think about what does it mean to gather together to worship, this sense that God actually wants us to prepare our hearts for the presence of Jesus and his reign over us. And that actually means really significant things for us. Um, for every single person in the room, the, the kingdom of God or the reign of Jesus means something in our lives. We're all prone to wander from his reign in different ways. And if you're like me, which I imagine in this respect, all of you are, um, we are all kind of finding ourselves and our hearts wandering off away from his goodness, away from his love, away from his kingdom in a number of different ways. And our prayer has been that God would this morning actually lead us to, the Bible word is repentance, to turning. Turning not from doing bad things to doing good things, but from walking away from Jesus to actually walking towards him, opening up our heart to his reign. And, and I just have this overwhelming sense that he wants to do some really significant things uh, in lives this morning. Uh, there are things that some of you have walked in, you've carried shame around for a long time, like huge, huge weights of shame because of something from your past, whether it's something that happened to you or something that you did. Um, there are people that are walking right now with kind of stuff in their life that they're keeping kind of in the shadows of their life, kind of some hidden stuff that just feel afraid to, to be honest about. And, uh, and, and that's real all over the room. There are desires in the room and kind of frustrations in the room at God and towards God or towards other people that lead to bitterness in our hearts towards God or towards one another, that all of these things kind of lead to a hardening of our hearts and actually a lack of receptivity to the love of God and the presence of Jesus. And all of those things are kind of some, some tender places. So I don't say any of this lightly. I actually think there's real warfare um, actually, spiritual warfare. So if you're new to Christianity, uh, we actually believe that God is not the only invisible being in the universe. He's the creator and he reigns over all things. But there are also other spiritual beings and there are forces of darkness that do not want you to know the love of God. They don't want you to experience the joy that Jesus has to offer. They don't want you to experience rest. They don't want you to experience freedom, liberation. They want you to stay in shame or in isolation. And so there's a, there's a real war that happens in this moment. And I think I just like felt the weight of that today. Like there's a real war happening today. Um, a spiritual war for your soul, for your heart. And so we're gonna pray, but I want us to pray with that kind of mentality. Um, there's a war for our souls, for our community. And I think Jesus wants to push his kingdom forward in our lives and through our lives into the city. And so let's ask him uh, to protect us, to work among us and to transform lives. Um, let's pray. Um, Jesus, we are asking for help. We just have this real spiritual sense that you want to do real things, um, significant things among us today. Just thinking around this room, stories I know and stories I, I don't know, um, but in all of us, different like strongholds, different areas where there's something we're hanging on to or something that feels like it's hanging on to us. And you wanna bring liberation and healing. There are people who are wandering from you who feel that reality that you wanna call back home. There are people who are wandering from you without paying much attention to where they're going. And even there, you wanna call out to them and call them back to yourself. There are people that feel chained, like they're trying to run the race of life and it's like there's chains around their legs and they're stumbling over and over and over and tripping at every turn and starting to get really discouraged. And we're praying that you would do liberating work today 
And there are people who feel that huge baggage that they're carrying from, from decisions in their past or, or hard experiences from their past that you want to bring freedom and rest to them. And so, Holy Spirit, would you protect us from the evil one? Um, would you lead us not into in temptation, um, but deliver us from the evil one? Uh, display your power, display the goodness of your kingdom, display the depth of your love, display the riches of your grace, display the kindness of your character, uh, your patience and your faithfulness and your mercy. Um, God, would you cause us as a people to just to see your beauty, see your love, see your delight, and that we as a community would turn from the things that, that pull us away from you and run to you, prepare our hearts for your presence, for your kingdom, for your work among us, but also through us in this city. We want to be your people. We want to radiate your light in this world, and we need you to work. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I'm not sure how good you are at waiting, uh, but my guess is not many of us are good at waiting. Our culture doesn't help us with waiting. We've actually learned how to kind of create a sense of immediacy all the time, but I am kind of like, uh, you know, ahead of the curve on impatience, which isn't a good place to be ahead of the curve on. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm notoriously really bad at waiting. Like around kind of the Christmas holiday season, uh, my birthday is right next to Christmas. Um, in case you want to register for my birthday or something like that, or kind of like, uh, but it's right next to Christmas, and uh, and so I always kind of like see this moment coming up, and I'm like. Man, with birthday and Christmas right next to each other, you can kind of like pair those up and get something like more significant. You know, you're like combining these things. And so I always like throughout the year, there's something eventually that I'm like, man, that'd be really cool to have or that'd be really helpful to have or whatever it would be. And about November, I feel pretty good about going ahead and purchasing the item for the sake of my birthday and Christmas. This is for birthday and Christmas, right? And then I go ahead and once I have it, there's no real reason to not start using it when you have it. Like it doesn't make sense as an adult to keep it in your closet when you know it's there and wait to get it out on Christmas. So we go ahead and use it, but I'll keep the box. This really happens. It's kind of crazy. And I'll like, um, you know, wrap the box so there's something to open so the kids can be like, look, dad, we gave you a present. Wait, haven't you had that for like a month and a half? I'm like, yeah, but, you know, it feels special and surprise, you know, neat. Um, I'm bad at waiting, right? And so now we have like a whole society that's built around creating more and more immediacy. When, when there's two-day Amazon Prime shipping, that was like two-day shipping for free. Well, like $120, you know, over the course of a year or something like that, right? But like who wouldn't do that? So Amazon Prime, we get it two-day shipping. But now it's like I'm disappointed if same-day shipping is not available for items I purchase on Amazon. Aren't you? You're like, you get it, and you're like, you know it could have, like, available for same-day shipping. You're like, yes. Maybe one day, next day, but two days now feels like two full days of waiting for that package to arrive from Indonesia. Um, <laughs> feels insane to me. Feels insane, right? Like, we're not good at it, but we're always waiting. We're always waiting for something. It's a part of the human experience. You're waiting for something. Sometimes it's insignificant things, a, a package to arrive. Sometimes it's, it's something more significant, you know, the results of, of a test you took to get certified for something or to pass some exam or your boards or whatever it might be, and you're waiting to get the test results back. Or maybe things that have way more gravity. You're waiting for medical results to come back because the doctor was concerned about something and they did some tests and, and you're waiting to, to kind of find out what's going on. Or you got the results back and they're not clear. So you're waiting. 
Uh, sometimes you're waiting for things like a spouse and you long for marriage and you long for that kind of a relationship and it feels like you know, there aren't things that are coming to the fruition the way you wish or in the timeline you would have wanted. Uh, there are really painful things about waiting through struggles with infertility uh, where there's waiting, real painful, real hard waiting. There's waiting in this world for things like a new job. You just feel like your job feels like a really painful environment and you're looking for another opportunity, but you don't feel the ability to leave that environment until there's another opportunity before you. And so you're waiting and you're, you're waiting. And in those situations, it's, it's hard for us because we, we long for the world to be right. We long for our lives to have a sense of like togetherness. We long to have healthy relationships and we long to have like stable income. We long to be physically healthy and for the people around us to be physically healthy. We long for the world to kind of be as it seems like it ought to be. There are these echoes that kind of like kind of rumble around us of this sense that there's a way the world ought to be and we're waiting for it to be that way, at least for us. Or you look around in a society and you see injustices and you're waiting for those injustices to get better. You're seeing systemic problems and you're waiting for those. There are global crises and you're, you're waiting for those in the sense of like longing and waiting and waiting and waiting. And, and that experience is a, is a human experience that was especially true for the people of Israel. Uh, for the people of Israel, they had been given these very specific promises to them as a nation, as a, as a people group, that the kingdom of God was coming through them. That God, through this people, through the people of Israel, was going to reestablish his kingdom, not merely for them, but through them for the whole world. This sense of the world will be one day as it ought to be, and it's all going to happen through us as a people. But the kind of last few centuries of the Old Testament, the people of God had experienced incredible pain and loss. They had gone through a, a real series of kind of unhealthy, corrupt kings and leaders who had led them to incredible places of pain where they had been then kind of exiled from their promised land and taken to a place called Babylon. And then there, there, there are these promises that God was going to bring restoration. He was going to restore the kingdom and it was going to be better than they ever would have imagined. Like all the human longings we're going to come to fruition through this kingdom that God was going to build. And so they finally come back into the land of Israel. And this is kind of like, you know, in the kind of like 5th century BC. And they're kind of waiting and they're longing and they're expecting and they're, and they're waiting and they're longing and they're expecting for 400 years. And, and there are these prophets that would speak of these promises and remind them of these promises, but some 400 years BC, those prophecies go silent. And now there are generations of Israelites that are born into this sense of God loves us and is for us and is going to do something among us. And they're waiting, when's he going to do it? And when's his kingdom going to be restored? And when's the Messiah, this anointed one, going to come? And they're waiting and they're waiting and then they get a little older and now they're, you know, they've heard these stories as a kid and now they're teenagers and, and, and they're not experiencing anything different. So they're just kind of like figuring out how to make life work while they're waiting. And then they, they keep waiting and now they're older and now... Their parents are dying and they're getting older and their kids are growing up. And you start wondering, like, are these promises true? Or is it real? Is God really going to establish some kingdom where he's going to make everything right and he's going to bring flourishing to the whole world through us as a people? Is it real? 
And I wonder if you can relate to that kind of waiting. Is it true? Like the stories we hear about, at some point they, they kind of mold from like promises into mythology, like interesting tales of the past that may or may not be true, that we can learn some, maybe some helpful things from. But is he really going to come again? Is there really a king coming who's going to establish a kingdom? And generations of Israelites were born, lived, and died in this position of waiting and, and silence. No new prophets on the scene, no kind of like encouragement, no like kind of really miraculous work of God that reminds them, no, God really is there. They're kind of waiting and wondering and maybe doubting. And into that silence, a a, a man comes onto the scene wearing just some weird clothes, like camel's hair around him. He's eating like locusts and wild honey and he's out in the wilderness and he starts speaking like one of the old prophets. And his message, and the message of God that pierces the silence is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the, that's the phrase that pierces the silence. Now, we're some 30 years now after Jesus has been born, but all of the events around Jesus' birth had been predominantly kind of like uh, in the silence. Like it, it wasn't like this public experience. Mary had this experience and Joseph had this experience and a few people were aware, but Jesus had gone in kind of like relative obscurity for some 30 years and the people of Israel are still waiting and waiting and waiting and this man, John the Baptist, comes out of the scene wearing bizarre clothes, eating a bizarre diet and just starts crying out to anybody who will listen, Repent or turn back to God. And here's why. For, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The reign of God that you've been waiting for, the experience of God establishing a kingdom kind of over which and through which people experience flourishing and healing and redemption and grace and cleansing and hope and life as it ought to be, that kingdom is coming. And John's ministry was to prepare people for the coming of the kingdom. Because when the kingdom comes, the kingdom is going to be established through kind of like two different movements. And this is all throughout the Old Testament. It will come, the establishment of God's kingdom will come through salvation, liberating those who are trusting in his word and and awaiting his coming, and judgment. Kind of pushing to the outside in this experience of judgment those who are rejecting his reign and persisting in their rebellion against his voice and his kingdom. And that's, that's kind of the theme of the Old Testament. Those who are keeping people away from God will experience judgment and those who are longing for the coming of the king will experience salvation. And so that kind of, that's the setting into which John begins this ministry of proclaiming the, the good news about God's kingdom and this call to people, calling people to turn. Now, we're, we're praying, there's so much happening in this passage, so much. And this is my first, you know, regret so far in our series through Matthew, that this isn't three sermons. Because um, it ought to be, because there's a lot. But through the, some of the time praying this morning, I really want to focus on this, this phrase of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And look at how it works itself out into this passage. Because this is the, the heartbeat of the gospel. It's the heartbeat of the gospel. At the very kind of core of this passage and at the core of really the whole gospel of Matthew is this good news that the kingdom of God has come and a call to every one of you and all of humanity to turn to the king, to turn to the king. And so at the, at the kind of heart of this message is this, is this kind of like truth that our, we're called to return to the king who has returned for you. 
that we're actually called as people to return to the king, to turn our hearts toward the king who has actually returned for you and his love for you and his pursuit of you and in his care for you. And so um, what I want to do this, this morning is actually just unpack a few things. And the first is a, a few comments about what, what is the kingdom of heaven? And um, what is the kingdom of, of heaven? And then understand how the reality of this kingdom kind of situates for us this call to turn back to Jesus and to look at what he's been doing and is doing and has done for us. And so I, I want to say indulge me for a second as I kind of talk about the kingdom of heaven. But I, I I feel like by saying indulge me, it feels like, hey, this is a Bible geeky thing, which I do sometimes, and a few of you care. Um, the, the kingdom of heaven is a, is a major theme, perhaps the central theme of the gospel of Matthew. It's going to show up, this term is going to show up somewhere around 50 times throughout the gospel of Matthew, which is 28 chapters long, 50 times in 28 chapters, that is a central theme. In fact, our image here is of an upside down cross or an upside down crown, which is signifying the upside down nature of the kingdom of God. That, that the gospel of Matthew is telling the gospel of the kingdom. And Jesus is gonna actually, in the kind of chapter four, he's gonna begin his public ministry and his kind of the summary, Matthew's summary of Jesus's whole mission is this same phrase, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's proclaiming the good news about the kingdom. So what is it? What's the kingdom of heaven? Um, because it's important for us to have our, our kind of minds and our hearts around this reality. Um, this, this phrase, which is going to be really significant all the way through, kind of goes all the way back, traces all the way back to page one of your Bible. And, and I'm going to unpack a little bit of it in the creation moment and a little bit of it in the history of Israel. But the creation moment helps us to make sense of the beauty and the brokenness in this world. Because the world is full of beauty and brokenness. Your life is full of beauty and brokenness. Your family of origins is full of beauty and brokenness. The society around us is full of beauty and brokenness. And it's the story of the kingdom that's going to make sense of, of the beauty and the brokenness. So if you go all the way back to page one, the, the whole kind of creation story is framed around God as a creator king who's issuing decrees, kingly decrees saying, let there be light, let there be land, let there be seas, let there be animals that fill the heavens above and the earth and the seas, and let humanity exist as these kind of representative rulers over all of it. And so the whole kind of framing of Matthew chapter one, or of Genesis chapter one, is a framing of a kingdom where God is creating a kingdom where human beings flourish where we're designed to actually know his presence, know his love, walk with him, but also then reflect his character, reflect his love and his humility and his kindness and his grace and his patience and his justice and his rhythms of work and hard work and beautiful, refreshing rest and to reflect these in the world. And it would have led to incredible flourishing, but this is where the beauty in the world comes from. It's where love comes from. It's why there's laughter in the world and little kids that play together. It's why there are things like daddy-daughter dances, which is amazing on Friday night. It's why those things exist. It's why there's good food, like In-N-Out Burger, right? Um, it's why there's good food in the world. It's why there's beautiful music, like Beethoven's Fifth or Miles Davis' Kind of Blue. It's, it's why, like, these things that kind of, like, when we experience them, there's this sense of yes. The sense of, like, this is, this is wonderful. It's why there's marriage and it's why there's sex and it's why there's friendship and it's why there's grace and it's why there's like purpose to the things we do. It's the things that kind of resonate with us. It's the, it's the beauty of the world. It's the beauty of the kingdom. And it's created in all of us these longings for a world that's full of that. 
And yet, when we're honest, the world's not full of that. The world is full of some of that, but also corrupted things that kind of work their way into all of those things. Right? So where does the abuse of children come from? Where do broken marriages come from? Where do physical diseases that ravish and destroy families come from? Where do strained relationships and broken friendships come from? Where do things like sauerkraut come from? Because... Uh, decay. It's like fermented through decay. You know, it's part of the fall. Things like pink fluffy unicorns and anything by Pitbull. Where does that stuff come from? Not from God or goodness of creation. Right? There's, 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 there's beauty and brokenness everywhere. So where does it come from? Well, humanity rejects the reign of the king, but not as kind of like isolated creatures. There's actually a serpent that's tempting humanity to distrust the reign of the king, their creator king, and to forge their own path. And so we, we've talked about this often, but that, that temptation to turn away from the wisdom and the reign of the king and to create our own kingdom, kind of like autonomously ordered by ourselves for our own glory and our own sake, is the Bible's kind of version and kind of explanation of where all of the pain in the universe comes from. All of the brokenness. Because we've turned from the creator of everything good to try to do it in our own through listening to the, to the wisdom or the false wisdom of a serpent who says this is a better way to life. We've turned away. And so the call of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand is at its core a call to turn back. Not stop doing bad things and start doing good things, but stop running away from the king who created everything beautiful and good and true and return to him to experience the fullness of the kingdom that you as a human being were designed to experience. That's what repent in the Bible story means. You, you've turned away, it's time to return. And why is it time to return? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God is coming to reestablish his kingdom. And this is a, a core of what the gospel or the good news is all about. In fact, in Genesis 3.15, right after humanity had rejected the reign of God, there is what theologians call the proto-evangelion, which just means the first gospel, the first good news. It's the first kind of expression of good news for the world. You've just rejected the reign of the king. You've brought suffering and curse and division into relationships and brokenness and marriage and pain and death into the world. And this good news is through the seed of this woman, one will come. A child will come and this child will be the one who actually crushes the head of that serpent, defeating this adversary. But when he crushes the head of the serpent, the serpent will also crush the heel of the son. And it will be this mortal wound. He will defeat evil and he will bring the kingdom, but he will do so at the cost of his own life. And this is in Genesis 3.15. And so the rest of the Bible story is just waiting for that. It's waiting for the coming of the king who's going to restore the kingdom. And so all the kind of experiences we have in life are kind of like in that kind of realm. We're experiencing life east of Eden, as it were, trying to build life and build kingdoms and build things autonomously as people have turned from the wisdom and the reign of the king, as people who are right now today actively being tempted by spiritual forces of darkness to distrust the reign of God, to distrust his goodness, to distrust his presence, to distrust his promises, and to try to just keep on doing it on your own. Keep on trying to forge your own path. And it's that dynamic that we as, as people in this world are constantly like struggling through and waiting for. We're waiting for the return of the king. We're waiting for the coming of the kingdom. And the people of Israel had kind of personified and kind of like recapitulated or kind of like redone, like retold this story as a whole national 
people. They were created by God out of Egypt. They were made into a people. They were brought into the promised land and they experienced this kingdom of flourishing and they rejected the king. They distrusted his word. They distrusted his wisdom. They turned from him and they experienced exile. They went east. They're kicked out east of Jerusalem, east of Eden as it were again. And they're experiencing exile in Babylon. And into that experience of exile, which all of us feel in this life, this, this sense of life apart from the kingdom of God, life apart from the presence of God, life apart from the love of God, it's in that experience that Israel was given these, these promises. And one of the promises, the most profound kind of ex, expressions of the promises in Isaiah 40. And Isaiah begins to tell of the good news when God's going to come again and establish the kingdom. And here's what he says. The people are experiencing separation from God. They're feeling some sense of repentance, some sense of longing, some sense of like we've turned from him and we need him to come and liberate us from this painful situation we've brought upon ourselves. And Isaiah, the prophet, on behalf of God says, comfort, comfort my people, says our God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned that she's received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. And then Isaiah tells of a voice that will cry. So the voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah says a voice is going to pierce the darkness. And when this voice pierces the darkness, it's going to be one in the wilderness who's crying out, prepare a way for the Lord. Now the whole image of high things being made low and low things being made high and rough places being made into a plain, the whole thing is like this image of preparing a path, making smooth a path to prepare for the coming of the king. The king's coming back and because you want the king to come back, because you're tired of living in exile, because you're tired of the brokenness and the pain in your heart and in your friendships and in your relationships and the world and the injustice that permeates society and feels like it affects every single thing in the world, even everything beautiful, has this sense of like darkness to it because you feel a temporary nature and you feel like, will this last? And could this last? And we hang on to it and it feels like it's all like grass and it fades away. And this experience of brokenness, Isaiah is saying, a voice is coming and calling us to like busy ourselves, not earning the return of the king, not working so that the king will return. He's coming again. Make the path straight. Prepare the way. Incline your hearts towards the king. Like, instead of kind of like saying, well, I don't know if he's ever going to come back anyway, so I'm just going to make the best of life as it is. I'm going to make the best of this broken world and kind of like squeeze the most out of life I can so that whether or not the, the king thing is real, whether or not the Jesus thing is true, whether or not the savior thing is something I really need, at least I can kind of get the most out of life. All right, and so we were, we were praying about some of these themes a few months ago, and I had this like, it's weird, it's a weird image, um, but I had this, image of like as human beings it's like we're it's like if we were fish and we were made to experience life in the water we're made to experience life in the water like we flourish in the water we can breathe in the water we can team in the water we can we can have a kind of a flourishing existence in the water but it's like the tide went out and when the tide goes out we're kind of like flopping on the sand and, and we're suffocating and we're, and we're struggling and when we know we're not made from the sand but we're kind of like learning how to adapt and, and there's a sense like we're all like, you know, like 
trying to breathe, but like while we're trying to breathe, we're like, let's make sandcastles and I bet I can make my sandcastle better than your sandcastle. And let's as a society, let's like have the, you know, three million of us here in Denver like make a really cool sandcastle that's better than Kansas City's. And like, like, and, and let's, let's like, let's just try to protect our sandcastle and, and do everything we can. And meanwhile, we're, we're dying. We're dying. But it seems like everybody else is doing the same thing. So what else are we supposed to do? And John would say, prepare a way for the Lord. Like get on your knees and beg God and say, we're dying. We're dying. We can't build a kingdom in Denver. We can't establish flourishing life without the king. We can't create Eden without the God and the creator of Eden. And what would it mean to actually turn from that like kind of fruitless, futile effort that continues like the water crashes and God's like judgment continues to like make it not work because we're trying to make it work without him. And instead just beg and wait, say, God, come again, bring the tide back, bring the tide back, bring the tide back. And to be a people that are so committed to the kingdom of God, so convinced that it is God himself that can bring flourishing and life and love and hope and rest, that instead of trying to create it and forge it in our own strength, which was the core problem, it was the original problem, instead of trying to do that and like frustrating ourselves generation after generation after generation. What if we were a generation that was like, come Lord Jesus, come. Come Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. We need you. And we want to prepare our hearts for your presence now as your spirit is here. And we want to orient our lives around your reign and trust your wisdom and stop listening to these voices that keep calling me to turn away from you and your goodness. And I, and I want to be a person who repents, who turns to the king again and says, no, it's you. It's you. And so at the core of this message that John is preaching is a message of of returning. Returning and inclining your heart to the king. And I think this has incredible ramifications for you and I today. Because all of us are, in the words of Isaiah, prone to wander. All we like sheep, we've gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. We've turned. And John's ministry is to come and to begin to prepare the way, saying the king is returning. Prepare your hearts. Turn back to him. And in this, he's proclaiming it through this ministry of baptism where he's gone down to a river. And it's like this whole like retelling of the story of Israel, saying Israel failed over and over and over and over again. They they failed time and time again. Humanity as a whole has failed. You and I have failed. We've sinned. We've, We've turned away from the reign of God and haven't reflected his image. And so John's saying, what if we were to go back to this experience of God rescuing a people out of Egypt, out of the, the slavery to our own failure and our own sin and our own darkness, what if we were to come through the waters again? And that's what baptism is signifying. We're gonna go back to the waters where God, through his power and his power alone, brings salvation and judgment. Rescuing a people from captivity, rescuing people from the burdens and the destruction and the death and bringing them into his presence to establish his kingdom. And when he's doing this, it says in the passage that he, all of Jerusalem is like coming out to him and he's, he's baptizing people and it says that they are confessing their sins. Now the word for confessing their sins is an interesting word. It's not the kind of standard word for confession because it adds onto it this little prefix. It's a compound word, which is like a public acknowledgement. They're, they're publicly confessing the ways they've turned from God. They're publicly confessing I've, I've 
turn from God through religious systems and try to build religious systems that can make me feel superior to other people and feel good about my life. I, I've turned from God through greed and covetousness and trying to like get everything I can out of this life and always feeling like I need more and more and more. I've turned from God through finding escape and comfort through sexual exploitations or pornography addiction. I've turned from God by, by actually kind of lead, leading this kind of distracting life where I can just like numb myself to the pain around me through, through drinking or through entertainment or through just distraction or through workaholism or through recreation. And I'm just like turning from him, trying to kind of like make a sandcastle as best as I can instead of getting on my knees and, and turning to him again and saying, return, king, I need you. And, and, the, and the turning isn't like stop doing bad things and start doing good things. In fact, a whole community of people had done that. They were called the Pharisees. And they're actually called out in this passage by John saying like, you think that the kingdom's coming for you. But it's not. He actually calls them in the passage a brood of vipers, which are like children of the serpent. They're just like offspring of the snake that have done it with a religious flair. If I'm better than or superior than or kind of morally put together and I can kind of like do the religious stuff, I can actually build a whole system that I'm at the top of, a religious system, albeit, that I'm at the top of and feel good about myself. And I've kind of created this little society that I have some sense of kind of like glory and comfort and safety and control over. And it's not this like, and so they're turning from bad things and doing good things to feel better than other people in a system of comparison that leads some to experience shame and others to experience pride. And this is not the kingdom of God, John says. John says, judgment is coming for you. The ax is laid to the tree. He's cutting down that sort of approach that says the kingdom of God is about doing good things, not about the presence and the love of the king. So he calls them to turn it. And my question, I think, for us is like, what are the obstacles for you? What are the things that are like preventing you from turning and returning to the king? Whether for the first time in your whole life, turning to Jesus, or the type of turning that we have to do every single day. But what are the things for you? What are the obstacles? What are the things that are enticing your heart? And the ruts in your life, that this is the area I turn and this passage, it kind of brings us to a, a really important thing that the Bible alludes to often and speaks explicitly of in a few places, which is the idea of public confession. Now, it's like scary for us because we are in a very privatized, individualistic society. But what a lot of us do is we kind of think, and this is true, like I've turned from God in these ways and, you know, places like Psalm 53, uh, Psalm 51 say, you know, against you and you only I've sinned, so I just need to confess my sin to God. But there are plenty of places, including this one and places like James 5, that call us to confess our sins one to another. That call us to just like publicly say to a friend or a spouse or a, a leader or a gospel community leader or a brother or sister in Christ, somebody like, hey, I've I've turned from God in these ways and I don't want to keep turning from him. I don't want to keep turning from him. I want, to, I want to turn my heart to the king and prepare my heart for his love and his presence and his grace. And, and we're, we're afraid at times to do that because we're afraid of what the consequences might be, what would it feel like, would, would they reject me? And I will say this just as a community. I think this is a really significant area we have to lean into together. Because in a, in a community like this, in a city like this, there's this real easy sense to be like, man, it sure looks like everybody's got it together, so I, I probably should too. Sure looks like everybody else is doing pretty good at following Jesus and isn't having the failures and the struggles and the stuff that I'm walking through, so I probably, sh I probably should try my best or at least pretend to. And that kind of system just leads people to feel isolated, alone, in the dark, 
caught in shame, disintegrated lives where this is who they are publicly and in small group and, and this is who they are privately in this real sense of disconnection. And that is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a community of people saying, we are broken. We've all turned from the king. We've turned from the king with, again, distraction. We've turned from the king with covetousness. We've turned from the king with lust. We've turned to the king with substance abuse. We've turned from the king with religious kind of like superiority complexes. We've turned from the king with trying to create a really awesome sandcastle. We've turned from the king with numbing ourselves in different escape tactics. We, we have brokenness in our marriages and we've got sin and, and regrets. And, and what would it be like to be able to be in a place where you can be like, surprise, surprise, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And that you could actually say the, the way that your heart's inclined to turn or has turned and to sit with somebody else and say, hey, let me walk with you, me too. Like that kind of, you know, I think it was J.I. Packer that talked about one kind of beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. Like let's go to the cross together. Let's experience grace together. Let's, let's come to, re, to remind ourselves of the love of God and the forgiveness of God together. And this is what Christian community is supposed to be. Not a fake group of people that's like, we got it together, we're really great, but a broken group of people that need a physician. A group of sinful people that are honest about that and just treasure the Savior and treasure his love. And that's what's beautiful about where the whole passage goes is it's into this environment of people turning their hearts towards God that Jesus comes on the scene, not just to kind of like check some box that he needed to get baptized to, but he's actually kind of like reliving the story of the Exodus saying, I'm gonna go through the water to pick up this story and I'm gonna be like a whole new Moses and saying, if you wanna experience salvation from judgment, follow me. And Jesus' baptism, he goes through the waters and as soon as he comes out, this spirit of God comes down over him like a dove resting on him and this declaration from God the Father comes over him, this is my beloved son and I'm so pleased with him. I love him so much and I'm delighted in him which isn't just like him bragging on the fact that Jesus is better than the rest of y'all. It's actually the invitation to participate in that declaration by following Jesus. That declaration is yours. By trusting in the work of Jesus, his death for us, his resurrection, his life, his character, by clinging on to Jesus, not onto superiority, not onto moralism, not onto better ethics, but clinging on to Jesus as a broken person, that declaration, you are a beloved son, a beloved daughter of God, and he is so pleased with you. So pleased with you. Not frustrated, not disappointed, not running out of patience, he hasn't had enough with you, he's not teeth gritted. He's like, I love you, son, I love you, daughter. I'm so pleased with you. You're like, but, but what about what I've done? It's the owning of those realities and coming to Jesus as savior, as redeemer, as grace giver. It's coming to him as the one who gives grace that we experience forgiveness and we receive not because we deserve it, but because of Jesus' love for us, this beautiful invitation to turn to a God who loves you already. Don't turn to him so that he'll love you. Turn to him because he loves you. Turn to him because he delights in you. Right now, delights in you. That thing that you struggle with that nobody else knows about, he loves you. Turn to him. Let him wash you and free you. That failure from your past that you can't seem to undo and you can't get over it because it wrecked what you thought your life ought to be. He loves you. He delights in you. The regrets you have with the ways you've raised your kids and some of the pain in your relationships, turn to him. He loves you. He delights in you. 
The, the, the struggle you have is you're like, I'm, I want to orient my life around him, but I'm just so stuck in these habits and these patterns that I, that I have another week of like feeling like, just like I failed again at doing what I wanted to do. Turn to him again. He loves you. He delights in you. And what would it be to be a community that's just doing that together? Just like, hey, let's keep turning to the king because he loves us, he delights in us, he gives grace to us, he gives hope to us, he gives fresh starts and new beginnings, he gives hope on the other side of failure, cleansing on the other side of shame, forgiveness on the other side of guilt, and this whole incredible experience of us learning to say, this isn't about us, this is about the glory and the love of our king. And if we had that kind of culture, if we were that kind of a people, not only do you experience like an incredible freedom, incredible freedom, but we also then like show that light and that hope and that grace to the world around us. And that's how Jesus is right now, establishing his kingdom. And he's called us to be a part of it. Let's pray together. Um, I want to I encourage you, to, again, don't, don't kind of emotionally unwind. Um, God is here. He's, he's actually here. And so I want to encourage you to ask him a question like this. Like, God, would you reveal to me, would you shine light on areas in my life where I've been turning from you? Or will you shine light on obstacles in my life of returning to you? Fears that you might have? What would people think? What would my spouse think? What would my friends think? Even, even just, just the reality of shame, like it's hard for you. There are things that you've swept under the rug and tried to move past and you've, you've felt the reality. It kind of pokes its head up periodically, reminding you of, of this, this weight that you've been carrying, but you've tried to distract yourself and move on. And even just thinking about it right now is hard. It's hard. But what if God really loves you? What if, he, what if he sees you and he knows you and he loves you and he delights in you? And what if his voice is crying to you, come home, come home? I want you to think, where are those for me? And just to get really honest and really specific, whether you write them down or just kind of, kind of take note of them as they come to your mind, it's Holy Spirit, where? Where am I turning from you? And then to maybe ask him if something comes to mind. Um, that's called conviction. That's just what the Bible calls conviction. So he's like lighting an area up in your life that this is an area where you've turned from joy, turned from love. And this call then is to actually own that as a real thing, to confess it, just to own this is real. I really have turned from you. To not minimize it, not kind of push it away, not blame shift to some other situation around you, but just to own it. Yeah, I really need a savior. And then to look at Jesus and how he's pursued you, he's demonstrated his love for you, he laid down his life for you, he rose again, he's present here, he's called you even to the, into this place. And I think even as the Spirit works among us, like even is right now showing his faithfulness and his grace, saying, come home, come home. You've been away for a, for a long time. Come home. I love you.
And so, Father, would you, through your spirit, protect us from the evil one who wants to push people into shame with his accusing voice and his deception. Would you protect us from the evil one? Would you deliver us from him? Would you allow your voice, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter, I am so pleased with you. I'm so pleased with you. Christ has done it all. He's paid the debt. He's washed you. He's cleansed you. He's done all the work that needed to be done. I'm so pleased with you. Follow Jesus and experience my love. Um, Would you, Holy Spirit, um, through all the complicated scenarios that exist all around this room, um, shepherd and comfort your people. Lead us home. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.